but it shows you when a kid is motivated, when a kid finds something that they actually like doing, that you just got to give them the give them the push. Like it's like they were on the swing when my when my son was really really young, he used to go to the park. Papa, just give me the first push right on the swing set, and then ultimately he knew how to do it. I think it's the exact same way with money skills. So as a parent, you, you just give them, give them pushes in a certain area and support them. This show is dedicated to helping you raise money smart kids so that they can win the money game. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Money Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Chung. Well, the summer weather is here, the school year is winding down, and my kids are starting to count down the days until summer vacation starts. We've got a few week-long sports camps planned for my oldest one, and we're looking to take another road trip at the end of June, although I haven't exactly figured out where we're going yet, so it's going to be one of those last-minute decisions. Father's Day is not for another two weeks, but I want to give an early shout-out to all you dads out there for everything that you're doing for the family. There's times that as dads, we don't feel appreciated. So I do hope that when you do celebrate Father's Day, it'll be a great reminder of how much you are loved and appreciated. And I know that if you're a father and listening to this podcast, you are seeking to help prepare your children financially. Speaking of fathers, on today's episode, I'm pleased to introduce you to Jay Gabriani. Jay and I share a lot of things in common. We're both sons of immigrant parents. We're both chartered accountants. We both have used real estate and joint ventures to create wealth for others and our families. And tragically, we've both experienced tremendous loss of loved ones in our lives, with Jay becoming a single father overnight when his wife unexpectedly passed away. From that tragedy, Jay focused on making an impact, in particular in empowering fathers to secure their family's financial future and to be prepared. And now that focuses on making an impact with kids and teenagers. Like me, Jay is a big believer in teaching kids about money, about investing, and being financially literate and responsible, and I know you're going to enjoy this episode. We talk about his ups and downs as it relates to his journey around real estate investing. We talk about the heartbreak of the loss of his wife and how his real estate portfolio provided him with a buffer to get through that tragedy. Jay shares some strategies on what fathers and really any parents out there should be doing to help secure their family's financial future. We also dive into key money skills that we should be teaching our children and why it's so important. He uses the analogy of comparing money to railroad tracks, where one track is the income track, while the other track is the wealth track, and that really we need to be teaching our kids every day they should be operating on both sides of that track. Jay's got three kids, all in their teenage years, so we get into really great practical strategies on how we can help our kids and teens become financially responsible adults. You'll come away from this episode with some really great tips on teaching our kids about making and investing money. I hope you enjoy episode number 44 of the Money Dad Podcast with Jay Gabriani. Enjoy. I'm happy to be here with my guest, Jay Gabrani. In 2005, Jay jumped into the world of real estate investing after the birth of his first child. He went on to build a multiple seven-figure real estate portfolio, and that same portfolio helped him take a multi-year sabbatical to deal with heartbreaking tragedy when his wife passed away in 2014. While raising his three children and coaching entrepreneurs, Jay used real estate as a way to secure his family's financial future. He's also an entrepreneur, having started and ran several businesses since he was 25 years old. He founded Prepared Fathers, a company whose mission is to financially empower 1 million fathers to secure their family's financial future by providing useful tips, strategies on mindset, investing, and focus. Jay is based in Oakville, Ontario. Jay, welcome to the Monday Night Podcast. Great to be with you, Justin. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that we had this opportunity to speak. I wanted to first get into a little bit about your backstory and go back to a time when you were growing up. 
Talk to us about what your childhood was like as it related to your exposure to either money and finances, or given your entrepreneurial background, your exposure to entrepreneurship at a young age. How did your parents or perhaps other role models set an example for you growing up? Yeah, great. So basically, upper middle class, born and raised Toronto, different suburbs, etc. So I, I don't have one of those stories where it's like, uh, it was really, really tough as a kid. And there was a lot of hardships, you know, middle class family. My parents both immigrated here in the early 70s. And I was born here. And basically, they had to do like a lot of other immigrants did. They had to grind, right? Like their education wasn't recognized from back home. They had to really work hard. And they both worked in service. My mom worked in government. My dad worked in private industry. So basically, the one thing that they were teaching me was, yeah, you got to work hard for sure. And they were very big on saving money. All right, like save money, save money, save money. And that's how I grew up. But when it comes to entrepreneurial uh, activities, I didn't really have any role models. But it's kind of strange, Justin, that that's how I was. Like I wanted to be an entrepreneur pretty well. You know, I did the I did the newspaper route. I did the lemonade stand stuff. You know, this is way before internet and smartphones, etc. You know, I was born in the early seventies, so there was just certain things you could do, newspaper routes, to make money. So I always was like that, but I didn't have any childhood influences when it came to entrepreneurship. So I wasn't able to get a lot of help from my parents with it. They supported me. You know, they were always very, you know, loving and trusting and all that, but they just didn't know. And it's not their fault. Like that's just what they were in. They were in career and business. So as I grew up, I started developing different role models through books and uh, eventually meetups and, and such like that, developing mentors. So yeah, it wasn't when I was a child, but when I was a child, they did instill in me, yeah, work hard, save your money, and um, don't get into bad debt. That was another big one for them. Right. And that's, I think that's a common theme for a lot of immigrant parents. I mean, my parents, same similar background in terms of you coming over from different country and and trying to make it in Canada. So that work ethic really was ingrained. You know, I saw it within them and I obviously saw that, how hard they had to work to make things happen here. I wanted to now get into, learn a little bit more about your real estate investing journey. You know, you've gone through some of the ups and downs of acquiring properties, both in other provinces like Edmonton, Alberta, as well as in Oakville. What motivated you, first of all, to build your real estate portfolio and why was it so important for you to do do so when you first started? Yes, great. So basically, like a lot of people, maybe when I was younger, didn't really have the focus on it. I always wanted to do well make money, but there was no direction. There was no focus on, okay, what do you actually do? So I had, I had always told my parents, you know, I went to university for them. I became an accountant and all that stuff. And basically I always told them, I won't work for anyone after 25. So I jumped into the world of business at, at 25. The day before my 25th birthday was the last day I worked at Pricewaterhouse. No. Uh, I handed in my resignation. So basically been on my own ever since, but the real turning point was not that that stage. I went through business early, some you know success, some failure. It was the day my uh, oldest child, Jaden, was born in two thousand five. Right, so I had I had been around the peripheral of stuff. I had read about some stuff, but I wasn't really doing. I was doing business, and that was it. I wasn't building any assets. You know, I wasn't doing anything like that. But then when I held him, then it. It was that minute. It was that very minute, right? At the hospital, you held him. You're like, oh boy, this has really changed. 
So it's now the focus was instead of just my wife and I, right? It's how do we secure his financial future? And that is just when everything changed for me. Let's just say that whereas before, maybe I wanted to spend my time with my buddies and hanging out and partying or what all those things, it all went away. It all went away and it got replaced with, okay, I got to hang out with like-minded people, right? I got to educate myself on what are the avenues out there available to make money. And then, of course, you read the stats, 90% of all millionaires are millionaires because of real estate. And I was like, okay, so let's take a look at this real estate thing. And yes, jumped head first into networking groups. We, we talked about the rain, you know, was a member there for several years, read over 150 books about real estate, success, mindset, et cetera, and just delved into it. Like it was immersion, right? And then the first step was back in 2007, it was jumping into Edmonton <laughs> right at the top. Like Justin, you could not have bought any worse than I did. All right. Like I was sitting there, I joined Rain in 2005 and they were talking about Edmonton and Calgary. And I was sitting there for two years, just learning, learning, absorbing, but I never jumped in. And I finally, at 2007, the prices had just gone so high. And I was like, oh boy, if I don't jump in, I'm going to miss out. Yeah. And I jumped in and literally it was right at the top. Six months later, stuff which I was buying at 270, townhouses, 275, they fell below 200. Right. So let's just say my first experience was brutal. It was not good. Lost all the money I put in and then I had to really regroup. So kind of much like your journey, then I had to reach out to joint venture partners. So I made a couple of changes. One was I, I started attracting joint venture partners and I switched focus area. From Edmonton, I focused right here in my backyard. You re- I don't know if you read the book, Acres of Diamonds. There's a gold mine in your own backyard. Yeah. So I just said, okay, well, I just live here, but I've never looked at investing. So I basically broke down the area in terms of all the 20 fundamentals, the geographic thing, put together a nice project binder. And that's how I raised joint venture money. And I started accumulating properties here in Oakville in 2009, 10, and 11. So it was really good in terms of timing, right? Because after the credit crisis came, the prices were pretty low. Interest rates were starting to really bottom out and they stayed that way for a long time. So yeah, I've been in the real estate game since like 2007. I've seen a couple of cycles now, right? And we've gone through another cycle during the pandemic. So yeah, like just uh, that, that was what decided it. It was, it was my son being born. And then I had two more kids after with my wife. And basically, yeah, it was just, how do you secure your future? Yes, I, I do play stocks. I've touched on a couple other things, but real estate was definitely the focus. And uh, that's how I basically did what I had to do. It's incredible the moment that when you do hold your child for the first <laughs> yes. time, what that yes. does to you. I know sim- similar to you on my end, it just, there's something that just switched in me in that, yes, now yes. this is a child that you're responsible for and that you want to make sure that their financial future is your financial and your family's financial future is secure yes. and that you you know you do think through a different lens on that and look at things from a different perspective to make sure that what you're doing and what you're focusing on on a day-to-day in terms of so for me you know I had got involved in real estate before but it it definitely solidified it as well in terms of making sure that we're creating 
a income stream or building assets and creating income streams to be able to help, you know, raise the family and create that stream of income for, for us. So I I can definitely identify with that in your story. And you touched on the number of different things in terms of JV's joint venture strategy. So making sure and partnering with people. And I think part of that is really ensuring alignment with yourself and your partners and ensuring that whatever their needs are. So a lot of times people want to get started in real estate investing, but they don't know how, or you know they're not experienced enough and they want to partner with people who have been through that, the good and the bad, right? I mean, and and I wish myself, looking back to some of the times that some of the buys that I did and some of the things that I went through, you can't time, mm-hmm. can't time everything perfectly, oh. but it's really time in the market that is really important uh, rather than trying to time the market sometimes. So as you reflect back on some of those times when you were you know, growing the portfolio, what were some of the key lessons that you learned along the way? Well, I mean, much like those fundamentals, very, very important in terms of when you break down an area and you know it better, especially when we're talking about, let's tie this back to joint venture money. I mean, like you think about it, I had asked for joint venture partners after just coming off a pretty massive failure in Edmonton. Okay. So my partners actually appreciated the fact that I had gone through an experience like that. So that was number one. But then number two, what that forced me to do was when I was going to ask someone for money and invest with me, right? Like I wanted to make sure that I had every base covered when it came to knowledge, right? Like, so when it came to doing the due diligence of the area, like when it comes to going to city hall, talking to the city planner department, right? Looking where the future developments are going to be looking where the highway is going to expand, looking where the go trains, like I did all of that work. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I really did put the work in because I recognize if someone, if I'm going to ask someone to give me their money and invest with me, like you got to know your stuff and you got to be able to mitigate the risk. I've always told them, I can never promise you an absence of problems, but I can promise you when a problem comes up, I will deal with it. So the real estate, when you're, when you're talking about investing with people and having people invest with you, you got to know your stuff. Your due mm-hmm. diligence is top notch because the worst thing you could possibly do is half asset and then invest and get some money and then boom, it doesn't go well at all. So do your due diligence and build your team in the area. I had a local power team in the area. So local real estate, the realtor the lawyer, mortgage broker. And it's amazing that my lawyer has brought me a couple of great deals, fantastic mm-hmm. deals, which I wouldn't have heard about. So building your power team in your, in your area, I think is very important. But just because they, have, they just have that little bit of extra knowledge about clients. Like, you know, they may have other clients in the area who maybe have a situation. They want to sell. And they can they can put you together. So I think it's very important to have your due diligence done and to have really good local experts kind of doing the work for you. And I am I'm a, I am a believer in they should be real estate investors as well. Mm, just yep. just to give you the the right advice. So those are the two big ones. And then the third one is just be a good person and develop good relationships. Like right? you know, it's not that hard to be friendly and to be courteous and congenial and when you treat people well you you tend to get treated 
pretty well. So I think that's an actually a really good one. So due diligence, local power team, treat people well, develop good relationships. Excellent pieces of advice there. And coming from the experience that you've had, definitely yeah. very impactful there. I know we're just meeting here online for the first time, although it seems like we have a share a few things in common. And the other sure. one common bond that we share is really the loss of a loved one, right? As my listeners yes. might know, and, and as you may know, both my parents passed away way sooner than I would have expected. My dad mm-hmm. passed away in 2014, suddenly from a heart attack, and and that really shook me to my core. And in mm-hmm. 2012, two years before that, my mom had passed away after dealing with a lengthy illness. And at the time, you know, so my my mom's passing really lit something within me and an energy within me to really propel me to build my real estate portfolio. And for you, your heartbreak was in 2014, obviously, when your wife passed away and you were left with being a single father and your real estate portfolio really helped you and your kids get through some of those times. Can you talk about what your mindset was like as you were readjusting your priorities and reevaluating really, you know, your life's purpose around that same time? Sure. So devastating situation, right? And I kind of came from the old fashioned household. Like when my wife and I, we got married, we wanted to have our kids close together. So they grew up together, et cetera. And that's what we did. So 2005, my son, 2007, 2009, I had two daughters with her. So basically we had three kids all within like four years. And yeah, just, let's just say, like, like anyone else, life was pretty difficult in terms of it's busy. Right. Yeah. And my wife, she was very busy handling what I'll just call the, the kids and domestic cycle, right? Take them to school, make them lunches, like all the house stuff, et cetera. And I was more the external facing spouse, the economic stuff, the cycle and all that, right? Bring in the money and all that. So we were quite old fashioned with that stuff. So when it came to her, unfortunately, passing away, she dealt with a lot of mental health issues and basically suffered pretty badly from depression and stuff in 2014. And let's just say that when she passed away, yeah, I became a single dad overnight. My kids were five, seven, and nine at the time. Now, your question was, how did I adapt? Like, I was completely lost, all right? Like, I had always focused on the outside stuff. Something simple, Justin, like making the kids lunches and getting them to school and organizing play dates like i had no clue what was going on with all of that stuff so let's just say yes you hit on it as opposed to being a driving force to have me build more real estate i had already built quite a bit of real estate 2009 10 and 11 mm-hmm. and it had grown you know not to where it fully went to in the 20 in 2020 2022 but it still had grown and what it allowed me to do was take a sabbatical because I quite frankly, Justin didn't know how to deal with it. Right. So I had to adjust with my kids. I had to mourn my wife's loss and still kind of figure out what I'm going to do. So it took me four years. I thought it was going to take one year. I sold the property. I took a bunch of money. I put it in the bank account and I didn't think much about it. Right. And all I did was I was focusing on my kids. All right. How do I help them get through this so young? right? They have all these questions and where's mama and all that. Like it was, it was very tough to go through. Now, basically after that four years, that is when I said, you know what? Okay. It's, it's time to get back to it. But the one thing I said was I'm not, there's no chasing money, chasing opportunities. It was going to be 
where can I make an impact, right? Mm-hmm. How can I make an impact, not just on, you know, my peers and colleagues, but on the future. I was a big believer, always have been a big believer in teaching my kids about money, about investing. And that is what prepared fathers came to be, or that's how it came to be, is uh, I, I had an experience. Let me tell you about it, is for my wife, when she passed away, we were the executor. We did have wills, by the way. We had wills set okay. up years and years ago. So I was the executor of her estate. Now, I told you earlier, I was educated as a chartered accountant. But when I went through that experience, I didn't find that very easy. Mm. All right. Like, I thought that it was like, wow, first of all, you're dealing with the loss, like the emotional toll. But then you got to deal with all this other crap. And really, you know, you're dealing with lawyers. You got to get, you got to find all your papers. And then I started asking other fathers, I go, if something like this unfortunate happened, would you be ready? And most of the time I was getting the answer, no. Mm. So I was like, you know, most, a lot of 60, 60% of the fathers I asked don't even have a will yet. Right. right. So scary. these are things, these are things that you just realize that, oh my goodness, like there's a big gap here. People are lacking. So that's where prepared fathers came about. I started helping fathers. That's ultimately morphed over the last couple of years after pandemic to more focusing on kids and teenagers. But that is how I decided to make my impact. It was through this business and to say, this is how I want to help people. I love going on podcasts. I love being a guest and answering people's questions because I know most folks are not going to be doing business with me. But the fact that if I can get my message out, and even if one thing I say helps them, I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. That's my purpose. That keeps me pretty that keeps me pretty happy and content. That's a great purpose. I think a lot of people don't go through the that experience and, and are not prepared to deal with, let's say, for example, even being an executor on an estate. I remember when my father passed away, so I was the executive of his estate. And again, similar to you, I mean, I'm a charter accountant as well in the background. And you know, dealing with that. Again, yeah. So dealing with obviously the morning, but also just all the different things that need to be taken care of on that. It yes. was definitely not an easy process at all. And I mean, even to this day, this year, I mean, we're nine, nine years later, there's still some things that still haven't been exactly all tied up. For a lot of people out there who haven't been through that situation, until you really get to that point, you really don't know what's involved. And and hopefully by talking to people and hearing from people who have gone through that experience, that yes. can help prepare them for, you know, when that time or hopefully, you know, down the road, but when that time Mm -hmm. comes. And so as you maybe talk through some of those challenges or that experiences around being the executive of the state and how, you know, let's say as fathers, how we can prepare ourselves. You mentioned a lot of people don't have wells. Well, it sounds like, you know, the first step number one is you need to make sure you have a well. There Um, you go. What other things should fathers especially and it could be parents but fathers especially make sure that they are doing so that they are prepared for situations that may come up great question so basically and this like we talk about fathers the business name is prepared fathers but this of course extends to parents right so i mean like you've already hit on it if you have children and or you have assets you need a will. All right. There's really no other way to say it, right? Like it's, yeah, it's kind of a pain to get done, etc. But basically you need a will 
And then it depends how much level you want to go to, right? There's some certain other things. So there's a will, there is powers of attorney. So powers of attorney, there's two specific ones that I, I talk to people about. One is your financial power of attorney. If something happens, and it doesn't have to be like a death, it could be, you know, maybe unfortunately you get into an accident of some sort and you can't make your decisions, et cetera, or whatever. You need someone to act on your behalf. There's a financial power of attorney that I think uh, when you go to your lawyer, right, who sets up your will, they also set up your financial power of attorney. And the second one is your health power of attorney. There might be health wishes you have that maybe the person you ask for the finances has nothing to do with the health. You could pick two different people there. So I think that that very minimum, those three things, if you have a, if you have a wills in this will and you have powers of attorney, the two of them, that's a good start on the legal side. Now, when it comes to more internal stuff, again, like um, your spouse should definitely know what is where, where important documents are, yeah. how to access things. Because a lot of time, like in my in my household when I grew up, let's just say that it was very much the same. My dad was the business economic stock guy. My mom was home all the time and working, etc. Thankfully, they're both still alive right now. But let's just say if something had happened to my dad, my mom wouldn't have had a clue yeah. where anything was. Like nothing, nothing. Didn't know where the bank accounts were. Didn't know anything. And I do find that that situation exists. It doesn't have to be husband knows, wife doesn't. It, there could be a lot of times where the wife knows and the husband doesn't. It, right, sure. I call it the non-financial spouse. Yeah. So you got to make sure that whatever your household is set up as, that the non-financial spouse at least has this idea of, well, if, we need to, if I need to access information, our insurance policy, mm-hmm. our house mortgage, where do I go? It should all be kept in one place. And the other thing is they should know things like, Where's our emergency cash? Where, what are our bank accounts? Like all of these type of details, if it's all written down and put in one place, then at least non-financial spouse knows where to access it. Now the financial spouse is, I think, doing a good job on top of those legal requirements. So if you get those things set up, there you go. Now we're talking about preparedness on like a, on a much better level than what most people are today, which is unfortunately ill-prepared. Yeah. And I mean, even just reflecting on myself here, because I, I think about, I mean, let's say within my household, I am the financial spouse. My wife is the non-financial spouse. And yep. so thinking about if something happened to me, I get hit by a bus, something happens, whatever. Yep. You know, would she be able to find all the details in terms of important documents, important policies, important things? Mm-hmm. And I mean, if I was to be truthfully honest, like it's not, no, I don't, I don't. I don't know if she'd be able to she'd be able to piece some of it together, but I don't think, you know, I haven't necessarily taken the time and I, I need to to make sure and highlight that, yeah, here's where you go. Here's all the different documents you need. Here's how you can access it. Here's who you call. I've started to lay some of that out, but I think actually I need to physically print off things and just have it somewhere so that in case of yes. emergency, this is what you need to do. And that's how you access it. So and I think a lot of parents out there should be taking that message to heart, right? So making sure that, yes, from a legal perspective, you got your will, you've got your power of attorney, it sounds like. Obviously, there's a couple different pieces to that. But yeah, making sure yes. that your other non-financial spouse, if you are the financial spouse, making sure that mm-hmm. that you are accounting for that. Because it'd be a shame that if you know something happens, that 
it's not available to them in that time of need as well. So great. Uh, horror stories, Justin. Yes. Horror stories. I've heard that where the non-financial spouse, something happens, just doesn't know. And uh, you can be assured that, see, the government is not very nice with these things. Like if you don't have a will, they're probably going to take a little bigger share than they really should. Yeah. Okay. So there's a financial reason, of course, to have one too. So it just, uh, is good business. It's good parenting. It's good family management. It's good stewardship, whatever you want to use, whatever the word is. So it makes sense. And it's worth it for people to spend a few hours and try and uh, try and get that done. Absolutely. I want to switch gears here and talk about and focus sure. really on. So on the blog on your site, actually, you share a lot of great wisdom on helping fathers, but parents raise their kids. What are the key money skills that we should be teaching our children? And why are they so important? Sure. I mean, like this answer you've heard lots. There's no real rocket science behind it. It's actually really good because it's the same principles over and over again. It's the same answer. So it's teaching them how to earn money, teaching them how to save money, and teaching them how to invest money. Right? I'm sure lots of guests have come on your podcast have given kind of the same answers. To me, it is just, yeah, those are the basic three. And as long as you stick within each of those three and are constantly building those skills in your kids, I think you're preparing them to be financially responsible and healthy adults, right? I'm a big believer, just I compare money to railroad tracks, all right? Mm -hmm. Railroad tracks. One track is your income track. One track is your wealth track. So I just try and teach my kids that you should be operating on both tracks every day of your life. Every day, that gives them a perspective so that this way, you're, the income track, okay, yeah, you got bills today. You got expenses today, your cell phones, your food, whatever you want to do. So that's something you have to manage. But then it's like a lot of other guests have talked about, I term it all future self. Like you got to put money away for your future self. And for people who are a little older, even if they're starting a little later, it's fine. You're still putting money away for your future self. But it's very important where you invest that money, right? Investing is a skill. And I think that a lot of folks, you know, they, they, they hand the money off to their corporate pension plans or a financial advisor. I don't know. I would, I've never been in that, in that boat. I've always wanted to do my own stuff with my own money. So I think it's very important that we teach the kids earning, saving, investing. The earning part the beautiful advantage they have now is growing up in the air, in the age that they have with the technology that they have, they have things available to them that we didn't have. Mm -hmm. So they got opportunities galore. So really it's a matter. I think the parents key idea when it comes to earning, it is you should really pay attention to what your kids love to do. What are they good at? What are they going to gravitate towards? Because then if you can somehow support them, you may not know anything about that area. That's fine. But if you can somehow support them towards getting the right resources and saying, these guys can teach you what, what it is you're interested in. I'll give you an example. My youngest, uh, she had a goal of a, of a dog. All right. Mm -hmm. I didn't want a dog. I don't want a dog in the house, whatever. But I said to her, I gave her a challenge. I go, look, if you can raise the money and you can put cash on the table all right, for the dog, for the first vet bill. And yeah. for food, go ahead and do it. And don't you know that just given that challenge, right, she went and developed, like she went to the garage, she found all this crap, 
cleaned it all up and sold it all on Kijiji and Facebook Marketplace and stuff. And don't you know, in three weeks, my 13-year-old generated $1,000 in cash and she put it on the table. Now, just that alone. Now, to me, I was, I, quite frankly, I was quite surprised <laughs> that she was yeah. able to do it. She yeah. was able to do it. She was able to do it quickly. But it shows you when a kid is motivated, when a kid finds something that they actually like doing, that you just got to give them the give them the push. Like it's like they were on the swing when my when my son was really really young. He used to go to the park. Papa, just give me the first push right on the swing set, and then ultimately he knew how to do it. I think it's the exact same way with money skills. So as a parent, you, you just give them give them pushes in the certain area and support them. But I think it's very important. And it's one thing I've done a lot is see what my kids are interested in and try and mm. meld it around that as opposed to forcing them into something else. Right. So that's, that's kind of the example of use them, use their goals, use what things that they want and tie it into making money that they earn and they use for their, their purposes and they save for their future self. So I bet you got, you got that dog during the pandemic. It seemed like everyone was getting. No, there. this is actually oh. a little more recent. Justin. Oh. This is actually just a matter of three months ago, four months ah, ago. Ah, okay. This is very recent. Oh, very, very recent. recent. No, no, no. Like she, she's still like she hadn't even turned fourteen yet. Right. So she's still thirteen, and but the amount of we'll call it pride. Yeah. Just being able to accomplish that is something else, and now she has her best little buddy. So it worked out well because it taught her a lot. In terms of, okay, if I want something here, I don't just ask Papa for it, right? It is, I can earn something and I can accomplish this my, if I put my mind to it. She had never sold anything before, hmm. okay? Like nothing. So, but the, again, on her own, she went and figured this out. She watched a bunch of YouTube channels of people who do this. So she was like trying to pick up information. Yeah. Then she did the effort going to the garage and cleaning all the crap up so that it did us a favor as well. It did me a favor. So yeah, I think that it's just important to light the spark, light yeah. the spark, give them the push, and they'll find stuff that they like to do. If you tie it into what they want, she actually turns out, and now she's still doing it because a dog isn't just a one-time expense. <laughs> right. She's got to feed them. So she is yeah. buying and selling the, these last three, four months constantly, constantly. Mm. She, you know, Yesterday, she sold a, a cat backpack. She right. had like old, so like right. whatever. These are, these are just examples. You know, my, my other two kids have done the lemonade stands and all that stuff. My son is into options, believe it or not. All right. Mm -hmm. Like stock options. Wow. My dad is a big stock guy. So he and my, my son, his grandson, they work together every day on stocks. So, and it's only because he likes it Yeah, and he showed an interest in it. So we taught him it and that's something he does. So. Yeah, there's all these avenues out there now, Justin, that the kids have so many choices. It's a matter of your job just to help them find it. Yeah, and I think it <clears throat> sounds like on your daughter is a combination of being motivated and Very then nice. using and just and then becoming resourceful, right? And figuring out, That's okay, here's it. how I can, you know, make that happen and or how do i make that happen and, and coming up with ways like watching youtube channels and figuring it out and then understanding oh we've got a whole bunch of stuff in the back you know in our garage that we don't really use anymore what can i do with that <laughs> you and got it someone else can use that instead but so yeah. it's, a, it's a really a combination of um 
motivation and resourcefulness. And so that that's a great example there. So you mentioned, yeah, your oldest son. So he's 18 now. He must be 18. Soon to be 18. Soon yeah. to be 18 years now. So, so you're an expert at raising teenagers. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> can you talk to the parents out there? What can or how can we help our teenagers become financially responsible adults? And what are some of the things in addition to, you know, we obviously talked about earning and saving and investing, but how can parents really help their kids become financially responsible adults, even if they can't save? Like if they can't save, what what can they be doing? Where should they okay, be? Okay. So I mean, like, because he's not quite 18 yet, my answer would change once he turns 18. Once he turns 18, open up your own investment account. Cause right now the stocks he trades is in with my dad's my dad right. has a sub account, right? So he's he's too young. But basically, once he's 18, open up your own investment account and that future self money that you've been saving, that you've been saving, start putting it in there and start putting it to work for yourself. But that's at 18. So in the last three, four, five years, let's just say that under my main bank account, my personal account, each of the kids has a bank account. Mm. So that way, you know, money goes in and out. I can transfer them money. So we keep it simple and then they have to keep that balance. They have to know how much money is in their bank account. There's not tons of transactions that go through their accounts, right? But at least they have an account. It's kind of in their name. So I think that's very important to give kids ownership, right? At a young age, like 13, 14, whatever, they all the banks will open up sub accounts for kids, I think once you're 13 or 14. So I think that's a great step for parents to do for their kids. And then it is, I think that teaching them different ways that they can ultimately make money, not just the earning side. It's when you have some money, the investing side. Investing is a skill. So for my kids, the example is very simple. They grew up around real estate investing, right? Like when I say we were investing in my backyard, all my properties I could drive to within five minutes. And guess most of the time who was with me? It was them. Uh, I'd take them to my, oh, I would take them to my real estate lawyer's office when we were doing closings. They would sit there. They didn't have a clue what was going on, but there was something going Mm -hmm. on. Like there was osmosis going on. I've sat with them. I've taken them to my mortgage broker's office. So they have picked up a lot of, my kids can have a pretty intelligent conversation with most people now about real estate. So I was teaching them that at a young age, even though I knew that they weren't going to do it for a while. Stocks, I told you, like I was teaching my son. He happened to like it. So he really kind of jumped into it. So the buying and selling stuff for my youngest, I didn't really know much about it. But again, I helped guide and just say, here, go go on YouTube, go look at this stuff. And you, you find the channels and you do the research. So I think that is the important thing is teach them not only how to earn money, mm-hmm. save money. Yeah. Like if you can, if you don't save any money, there's quite frankly, there's no shot, right? Like yeah. you have to save money. You just got to put more aside than you spend. And then it's invest, like teaching them how to invest at a young age. My middle one, she's not as entrepreneurial. She's much more like bookish and schoolish, but she actually has saved the most money out of all three of them. Right. All right. Because every time she got a gift or whatever, she did her lemonade stands, et cetera. She'd put her money away. She's really good at it. So she actually invested money with me in stocks. So she has a little chunk of my portfolio. Mm-hmm. So she's got some dollars in there. So it, it's just, and we go over it. 
right? Like every six months, you know, we just sit down, we talk about it. Here's the stocks that are in the portfolio. Here's how they're doing. Granted, in the last year, they haven't been doing that good. So she's already seen a down cycle, right? But when she started, the stock market was going up. So she she's seen up cycles movement in her portfolio, and she's seen a down cycle, and she's seen it how quick it can be, right? With the fact that when with interest rates rose, so all of them are learning every day in those big three skills. I don't think it's just as basic as all right, you know, go cut go cut some grass and lawns and yeah, you know, make your ten bucks. No, I, I think it's a lot more involved than that. But the beauty of it is, you said it earlier, being resourceful. It is just there's so many resources out there to uh, to latch on to to teach them this kind of stuff, and they have the advantage of just being so tech savvy, right? Like they, it's comfortable for them. Yeah, they're used to it. It's it's no big deal to them. They're just it's they can, and especially when you're young, you can pick it up so quickly. Yes, and I like. I mean, I think there's a couple of key points there. One was really in terms of through osmosis. So showing yes. or exposing your kids to some of the things that you do. I mean, so you and I, you know, we're involved in real estate. So mm-hmm. similar to you, yeah, I would take, I take my kids with me if we go need, you know, if we need to go take care of some things that, um, you know, I've got student rentals in Waterloo that we need to take care of. Let's go check it out. And yeah, they may not pick up everything, but at the same time, we don't give them more, we don't give them enough credit actually for what they yeah. are picking up. They are observing, they are picking up some of it. And I think part of it's just, getting used to or normalizing that kind of situation so that it's not foreign to them if, you know, when, and if they get involved with that down the road. So they think that's, that's key in terms of helping them learn. And then the second part of what you said was really in terms of making sure that you're talking to them about it. Like for instance, you go over your statements with your daughter and, and showing her, you know, how, her stocks have performed or how, what her investments have performed, you know, every six yeah. months or, or regularly so that she can see it and understand it. And you're, and you're having those conversations. So those are some great examples of what parents should be looking for to do with their own kids to help, you know, prepare them and, and have them grow up to be financially responsible adults. Well, uh, they don't teach them in school. They so. don't. And, and it's a shame. I mean, and, it. and it, and they it's need to, basic it's funny. They like they these are these are important life skills that they need to learn and right. hopefully, you know, the podcast and other things, other resources out there can can help them get on track that way. So so let's say for the parents out there who don't have the time or are not, you know, don't feel financially prepared to teach their teenagers about financial skills or things like that. What's something that, you know, as part of prepared fathers business that can help? parents out there looking for that. Great. Thanks for asking that. So basically, I already know from my conversation with lots of other parents, you've already hit on it. They either lack the time, the expertise, the inclination. Sometimes when it comes to their teenagers, sometimes parents and teenagers don't exactly communicate. It's still oil and water. But the parents recognize that if the school is not teaching them about finance and investing, and it's up to them, a lot of them are just not a so they're not comfortable. So what we try and do is we try and step into that role and say, we have a program called the Teen Finance Accelerator. Mm-hmm. All right. What that simply is, is, is let us do that work for you. So you just be the guiding voice and helping and just standing along and watching the kids, watching the teenager learn, ask questions. And we will handle the, we're going to teach them about 
personal finance, stock market investing, real estate investing. It's all done in an online course, online modules with them with live Q and A, so that it, they get their questions answered. Right? Because a lot of them, you'll be amazed, Justin. How many teenagers are interested in this, even mm-hmm. though they don't show it? So that's how we can help. Is we can help parents if they want to enroll their kid in the Teen Finance Accelerator. That's the program we have. You can go to www.teenfinanceaccelerator.com if you want to take a look at it. But basically, that's the way we help. And because we know parents just, those those are different situations. There's a lot of parents out there who actually might do okay. They might make good money themselves, but they don't have those things to teach the kids. So let us help you out with that. And we can step in and you just stand by the side and just... Give them that. Give them that push. We might have talked about earlier, right? Yeah. And that's basically it. Yeah, and that sounds like a fantastic initiative and, and really platform and way for parents out there. Yeah, if they lack the time, lack the resources to have you help uh, help with that through the Teen Finance Accelerator. So Teen Finance Accelerator. Yes. Take a look at that. I wanted to switch over to the rapid fire round of our podcast, which is what sure. I call the Fast Five. I'm going to ask you five questions, and I want you to answer them using one word or a couple of sentences. Are you ready? Okay. Go for it. Question, Great. Question number one is, what's one of your favorite books that you've read and enjoyed? Oh, that's that's an easy one. It's Think and Grow Rich. Like It's the all-time classic. I try and read it at least once a year. I'm very good. That's very one of the best time all-sellers as well. Yes, yes. Question number two is, when you're... well. This is, what do you love to do in your spare time? Hanging out with my kids is definitely one. In terms of my own personal interests, I am a big sports guy. I love uh, watching sports and playing chess. That gets the mind stretched quite a bit, strategic, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So I like doing those things. Excellent. Question number three is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Treat people how you want to be treated. Oh, definitely. Like that just... I, I think that the relationship side of things is so important and it gets underwhelmed in today's society with all the tech, but being able to look someone in the eye, shake their hand, et cetera, and just develop a rapport and relationship, I think that's super important. So treat them, treat people well. Absolutely. Question number four is if you could sit down and have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Yeah, this one's a little strange. Uh, I was a big wrestling fan when I was oh, growing up. Oh, okay? you too? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a huge wrestling fan, but not so much. I, I was just, I was fascinated by, and it's actually, you know, like WrestleMania or whatever's coming up soon. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching the first one 35 years ago. Okay. So I would actually love to have dinner with the owner, Vince McMahon. I just think that guy is brilliant in what he has built. So. I was always fascinated by the wrestling business model. Mm-hmm. And that would be uh, that would be an amazing person to have dinner with, just to pick his brain about how he, you know, took those chances and how he developed what he ultimately now it's a like five billion dollar company. Like it's yeah, quite yeah. something. It's huge what he's grown it into. I mean, I, I've always been a fan of wrestling, but not necessarily the business side, but but really just the the characters and the yes. drama around it and and how they're able to play it up. So I remember that back in the back in the day, WWE. Yes. So, and then finally, question number five is: What's the one conversation that you recommend parents have with their kids today about money? Can't limit it to one, Justin. I think that it's important. You just it become an everyday part of your life. 
just an everyday part of your life. Bring up conversation when you go to the grocery store, you're shopping, when you're paying your cell phone bill. Just incorporate, you know what, guys, these are especially expenses that are every day, right? Like every, all the time. So I think it's just important as opposed to any one conversation you can have, just make it a, a daily conversation. All the experiences that come up, tie it back into them, how they can ultimately build their wealth. Wonderful advice there. Well, as we wrap up here, so where can my listeners stay in touch with what you're doing? Where can they stay in touch with you in terms of prepared fathers and get some resources there? Yeah, sure. So there are a lot of resources. Even if someone, we talked earlier about the wills and the states, if they wanted like a checklist of what to do, they can go to www.preparedfathers.com and there's a whole bunch of resources and checklists there. However, for your audience, uh, especially the ones who have teenagers, we created a, a checklist, three financial skills I teach my teenagers. And if they want to access that, they can go to www.preparedfathers.com forward slash money dad. Right. And if they do that, they can get the checklist free, all that stuff. That'll be a pretty useful resource. It teaches them the skills that I teach my kids that I think it's just this extra level above the whole earn save and invest, right? I think that that's, those are the basic principles, but this goes a little bit deeper into how we can help our teens. Awesome. I and appreciate that resource there. So the listeners go check that out and we'll have links in the show notes as well of where you can find that. So Jay, I just wanted to, as we close here, just thank you so much for taking the time this morning to talk to us about you know, a whole bunch of other things or a whole bunch of things, whether that's your real estate investing background and, and your experience investing in other places, as well as your backyard, using joint venture money and some of the lessons that you've learned from that experience, obviously dealing with personal tragedy, but how you're able to uh, use your real estate portfolio to um, help you during that time, during that sabbatical, and then helping prepare fathers and parents for, you know, as an executor and what things that they should be doing and getting prepared today. Um, to, you know, in, in the event something happens. So being prepared for that. And then really just talking to us about some of the great experiences and tips that you have for uh, helping parents raise financially responsible teens. Uh, just some mm-hmm. of the things that you talked about. I appreciate it so much. No, thank you just for having me on. You're doing great work. Keep it up. And um, hopefully your audience gets a lot out of it. More than happy to hear from them if you know they want to reach out. Wonderful. Okay. Thanks so much, Jay. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Money Dad Podcast. If this podcast has brought value to you, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. For more info or to connect with Justin Chung, visit www.moneydadpodcast.com. We'll see you next time.